Few brands were better positioned for growth during this year of lockdowns than Peloton. The home exercise brand has reported triple-digit sales gains in the last year. And so, when I interviewed Senior Director of Global Product Marketing Ryan Dillon Curran at MediaPost's D2C Brand Insider Summit earlier this month, the topic was growth. How do blockbuster D2C brands manage runaway success? The company redefined home exercise, but it also has widened its footprint as a media platform with musical artists and a social influencer network of beloved coaches. We should mention that while the well-publicized Peloton treadmill recall may be top of mind right now, Ryan was not able to address that issue when we spoke, but I'm sure it's a marketing story we will be revisiting throughout this year. And now, let's drop into our Insider Summit interview with Ryan Dillon Curran. So uh, Peloton obviously has had meteoric sales growth, uh, especially in the last year. Uh, and yet the horizon for everyone uh, is unclear. Uh, so from, a, and, I, and I know this is a passion point for you. We've talked about this in, in preparation for this. So I really wanted to dig into this, this idea of growth and for you to take us inside Peloton and talk about how you, uh, from your perspective, how does a fast growing D2C manage growth? What are the, like, the key challenges that you have to solve for when you're thinking about growth and the kind of scale and speed of a Peloton? Yeah, it's, you know, I've been at Peloton for four years, and I think we've, you know, pre, even pre-pandemic grown, triple X digit year over year. So there's just this constant kind of need state of, of evolving through growth. Um, when I think about some of the kind of lessons I've learned, there's, there's, there's almost two sides of it. There's the how you do, and then there's like the what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what, what particularly we learned this year around um, living in this pandemic world um, is, and this is going to sound a little cliche, but I want to talk about being nimble and agile. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what, what was more true than ever before is being really comfortable ripping up the playbook. Uh, and I think as marketers, we always pride ourselves on tight strategy and planning. Um, but, but in the last 12 months, we, we've done that and we've known at a certain point, we just got to, this, this doesn't work. Um, and I think, you know, for example, we were supposed to launch our, our Bike Plus uh, in April. Uh, little did we know in March what was going to happen. Um, so we had to completely replan and reorchestrate a product launch we've been working on for two years. Um, to shooting new content, redoing our marketing plan, um, how we operate as a team, how you maintain privacy, what is the role of retail, um, and you're doing it in this like new world that you've never experienced before. And um, and I think what what I really came out of knowing is you got to be decisive about just calling it quits and pivoting, um, and having confidence and conviction and guts sometimes. Um, and then there's also like what you do, right? And there's like how you show up uh, as a brand that's constantly growing. And I think for for us, what we've learned. Um, it's particularly remember base and, and then the category of fitness, you got to keep it exciting. And, um, for us, we've, we spent a lot of time and, and, and resources in our music experience. Uh, so recently we've launched a Beyonce artist series, uh, Beatles, Lizzo, Miley Cyrus, Billie Eilish, um, and really kind of diversifying our content offering and keeping it fresh for folks. Um, and then in addition, as we think about kind of uh, modalities, that's been a big push for us too is um, introducing new modalities. So we're not just a cycling company, but introducing Pilates uh, and um, additional strength content and um, a ton of other offerings uh, that, that just really help diversify that offering. So yeah, I really think you gotta kinda uh, be nimble and agile, but really be willing to, to rip up that playbook um, and keeping it fresh and not being a cha- afraid to kind of innovate and keep the gas on, even if that means innovating against yourself. I want to, we're going to drill into like the the, the real, the nuts and bolts of what it really takes to do this and create an infrastructure that can make those pivots. I want to talk a little bit historically about the Peloton brand and how it's grown just in four or five years. Are there key 
pivot points or main major course corrections that Peloton has made over the four years that you've learned from that you can identify? Or these are the these are the places where we really uh, shifted in our evolution and went on maybe a, a path that we didn't expect, but it's gotten us to where we are today. Yeah, I, I, um, so many. I think some of the ones that really stick out to me, or if I go back in time when I started at Peloton, um, the job to be done with educating people about this new category that we've created um, and doing it to a consumer that was maybe more affluent and, and very engaged in boutique fitness. Um, as we've evolved and grown, we, we quickly recognize actually the change our consumer target and broaden that consumer base. Um, and that's no, no mean feature. Like, relook at your brand, relook at all your marketing. Um, and, and evolve it to, to, to kind of connect with this, um, this new consumer base that's maybe a little bit more broad. Um, another interesting point going back to the, the job to be done at the beginning was at a certain point, we actually realized that one of the things getting in the bike's success was the fact that it was just seen as a bike. Mm -hmm. So another major pivot we made, and that was a big part of the Bike Plus launch in September, was evolving to, it's actually more than cycling, and we have uh, strength and stretching and um, yoga and all of these other modalities that actually can ser serve a broader, uh, a broader fitness kind of uh, need. And then another one that we definitely didn't see coming, that I think is, is really fun and interesting is the expectation of Peloton's role in culture. Um, and I go back to the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, three years ago, people wouldn't have necessarily expected a company like Peloton at the size you're at to have a, a voice. Uh, and there was an expectation that Peloton, you know, needs to be contributing. Um, and that was a big focus for us. And we made a, a $100 million commitment, uh, what we call the Peloton Pledge, being an anti-racist organization. Mm -hmm. um, but going back, you know, two, three, four years, having a voice and a role in culture and that expectation from the, from the market and your consumers, uh, it's definitely not something we had anticipated or planned for. Well, did you know that you were going to become a media platform? I mean, I mean, the, the fact that you reeled off all of those major celebrities that you're now partnered with, this sounds like something that maybe you didn't fully anticipate. Did you really know from the beginning then you, when you were, you know, you were building a subscription bike that this actually was going to become a major media platform? And then especially, how did that have to change what you did from a marketing perspective and the infrastructure that supported all that? Yeah, and I, I, John's vision was always to build a, one of the most vertically integrated companies in the world, and he's deeply passionate about the content experience. But I don't think we realize the power of the media platform we've created and what it can, how it can bring people together, how it can make people feel. Um, and there's a responsibility that comes along with that. Um, and so as we've evolved and, and, and elevated the content, yeah, our marketing has to change. Um, and if you think about the dynamics of the category, like I, I mentioned, we started out we created this category. The idea of doing a boutique cycling class in your living room was, was, was quite novel. And today it's expected. Um, so the role of our content in terms of kind of creating differentiation is really important for marketing uh, because you can buy anybody. Um, obviously, we believe our hardware is, is incredible, but it's really the content that unlocks and that experience and that community and the instructor and the music uh, that really elevates kind of that experience. So that's definitely been a big area of focus in our marketing. Just how do you how do you make bring that experience to life in your marketing in a world where people can't always physically experience that? that, that, that and you have this network of trainers that essentially work as influencers. That I mean, you have a built-in influencer network. Yeah, exactly. And we we traditionally the, the word influencer, I think, you know, as many kind of forms and interpretations of marketing. But for us, we look at who are those people in our community that are influential, and that's our our, our instructors, our really passionate and excited member base, and how do we 
how do we empower them to, to tell meaningful stories about their experience versus maybe the more traditional view of influencer marketing? What, what, um, let's drill into that for a second. Are there specific things that you did do that you did do and execute when you when you talk about empowering your trainers? Are there key things that you've done that have helped make them both more successful and popular with their own constituencies um, of, of of workout clients, uh, but have also helped advance the brand? Um, yeah, it's it's all you know, um, kind of let's say mutually beneficial in terms of we want to empower our instructors. Um, with a deep understanding of the consumer and the marketing plans and why we get excited about certain, whether it's new series or new modalities. Um, and if we can help them better understand what we're trying to achieve as an organization and through marketing and the consumer need that we're ultimately filling, that, that actually helps them make them better instructors. And it gives them more uh, ammo to create great experiences, share those experiences on social. Um, and it's kind of this like virtuous cycle that I think can be really powerful. Uh, I want to talk, go into the evolution of the brand and the branding uh, challenge here. You know, your product is is relatively expensive and complex sale. Um, and the brand, you know, obviously you've taken, you know, one of the things that Peloton is known for is taking some risks when it comes to marketing and, and messaging. What's been the biggest challenge in getting the product positioning and the targeting and the messaging right so that you're not overshooting and going for perhaps too exclusive and premium a, part, a target? You're not identified simply as a luxe target for only, you know, high, you know higher end upper middle class uh, clients. What have been some of the challenges and how have you engaged it and changed course? Yeah, I think it's uh, definitely something that is uh, very top of mind for us as the company's been growing so quickly that evolving target. I think that's exactly it, um, Steve. It's how do you balance mass versus niche? And, you know, there's, there's your consumer target, there's your aspirational target, there's your media target. Like finding that kind of sweet spot is, is hard. And I think what, what we've really invested in is research and really deep uh, consumer segmentation work that really helps to understand those pockets of consumers, um, getting into their homes, talking with them, understanding who they are, what their lives are. Um, and, and again, just like making sure you, you have that deep understanding of that consumer that's backed by data and then those qualitative insights to help kind of add color. Um, so whenever we talk about our consumer Peloton, we have a shared language and a shared understanding. So then everything that comes out of the brand um, has this, is, is shared in terms of that intent. Uh, and I think, you know, segmentation work typically is a long-term view, but we're actually always refreshing and relooking at our segmentation as, as our product portfolio changes, the market changes, as our business needs change. Um, so uh, definitely something we're maybe over-invested in, I'd say, than maybe your traditional marketing organization. Uh, that that's actually, that's a good spot to show the spot, but one of this, I think this is one of your more, more recent spots that we're going to show, because I think it speaks directly to what you're talking about. And then maybe... Uh, using this as an example, we can come out at the other end and you can tell us what your sense of the segmentations and the targets and the consumers that you're aiming for here that may be different from, say, two years ago. Let's, let's run the clip. Grandpop73 is here for his queen. <laughs> Sean Before Dawn trains at 6 because breakfast is at 0700 sharp. BGT Esquire needs to try out these brand new leggings. And Need Cake loves cake. Duh. We have our own reasons, but we all showed up for each other. There are thousands of you here today. Let's make the most of it. Now, I, I, will, I will say subjectively, that is not the Peloton ad I was seeing two years ago. 
what's different here in terms of your understanding of who your consumer is and your target and the way you want to talk to them? Yeah, it's a, I love this example, by the way. And this is something we're, we're really proud of. And it was honestly, it was the first time we ever, we, we took our members and we wanted to tell their stories. I think that's what we realized is sometimes as marketers, you can, can get in your own way. Um, and for us, there's such a rich and vibrant community and we want to tell that story. Um, think kind of to the, the now and the then, I think one of the things that has evolved for us at Peloton, we used to always say people join for the convenience and they stay for the community. Um, and that, I think that was true in a, in a world where the category was so, so nascent and, and the idea of, again, boutique cycling at home is kind of novel. Um, but the role of social and community is, is just become so much more important for our brand and especially outside of our community and telling that story. And that's something we really want to kind of um, shout from the rooftops is, is uh, kind of, there are real people just like you who love this platform and they all have different motivations. Um, and those motivations are, um, varied and are different and are interesting. Uh, and we just want to be able to tell those stories um, because there's there's so many that we see every day. And as marketers, it's how do you bottle that up and, and, and share it? And I think this is a, one of our better attempts at doing so. Uh, well, what are you also trying to avoid here? I mean, obviously, I mean, these are homes that look more like the homes of me and my friends <laughs> and uh, and my family. Uh, they're cluttered. You know, visually, they're they're cluttered. Uh, there's a much greater, I think, diversity than maybe we would have seen in, pre, in 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 older generations of ads. We're no longer in that white room looking upon the cityscape uh, with um, in that 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 sort of ultra modern landscape. So, tell me a little bit about the challenges that you're trying to uh, overcome with ads like this. Your target consumer now that may be different from say two years. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's, as, as our consumer target has evolved, I think we want to we want to reflect what we believe are those stories and those lives and those experiences back to our, our prospective audience um, to maybe shake any myths that you know this is not a um, an, a product for the elite or the wealthy. Um, and our goal is really to democratize Peloton and bring it to as many homes as possible. And um, you know, one thing I think is important is there's there's the marketing that that supports that, and then there's the actions you take as a company too. And I don't think you can do either. Uh, so actually, recently we we lowered the price of our original bike uh, in the middle of the pandemic. Um, we offered and developed a really rich zero percent APR financing program to drive that accessibility narrative, and then we offer um, a thirty day app trial so people can get a taste of the app and then subscribe for twelve ninety nine. So. So I think the one thing I always want to highlight here is like the marketing needs to tell that story that this isn't an elite uh, or wealthy product, but, and you can tell that story in market, but you have to back it up in terms of your actions as a company too. Interesting point. Interesting point. You did that. That's that's fascinating. It's not just a matter of messaging. It's got to. It's it has to be holistic. So let's talk about. Let's drill into this idea of growth and and structuring a marketing group around this idea of growth. Um, what have you learned about building into the infrastructure these forward-looking teams that are looking farther down the road rather than the thing that I think a lot of DTCs are still looking tend to look at, which is the immediate quarter and the immediate sales and a lot of performance marketing aim, aimed at that. But in terms of focusing on that next stage of evolution, how do you actually build that in so that it's part of the structure? Yeah, you have to, it's exactly that. It's a, it's a balance and you have to build your, your um, there's both how you build your team and there's the people you hire as well. Um, but as it relates to, to building your team, one, you gotta, you gotta know that your team is gonna change, the roles are gonna change. Um, but you have to, when your operating model, have a, a group of marketers who are focused on that short-term, but have a group of marketers who are focused on those long-term initiatives. 
Um, and I think that's a, we try to balance that. So for example, our bike plus launch, we, we had a team working on that for two years, a partnering with a product team, understanding the market, understanding and developing those feature sets. Um, and then we, so we have those long-term initiatives, even the, the campaign we just watched, I think we probably worked on it for 10 months and we wanted to have the rigor and the understanding to upfront to make sure the execution was right. Um, and one of the things we've deployed is we kind of have seasonal leads. So as we think about kind of our, our marketing calendar, we, 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 we map it out by seasons. Uh, and then we have a, uh, you know, on my team, a, a senior product marketing manager typically will lead a season um, and they could be planning for that season for, you know, nine, 12 months, depending on the season. But when they're in the season, they're driving a team of, of, of uh, kind of diverse cross-functional partners that are actually driving and optimizing performance in that quarter. So they've spent the ramp up, like understanding all of the, the strategy and the insight and driving the execution, but then they're also dedicated to the, the season itself and driving performance uh, with a kind of a cross-functional squad that we like to build that's really kind of ready and uh, kind of equipped to, to act in kind of short-term insights and, and learnings that we just don't, we know they're gonna come, we just don't know what they are until they, they, they come. That that sounds like a really interesting strategy. So you've got it's a very it's a, a very sort of focused team effort at very specific tasks, and yet you have cross-functional teams that are then working across them. Yeah, and it's it's, it's a byproduct of the structure. Our team is kind of both short-term focus and long-term focus as we think about some of the the, the longer-term initiatives like product launches. Um, and then you've got like channel experts who are maybe more kind of focused in the day-to-day and managing the optimization. So um Bringing those together is really important, and we try to bring squads together. You can of you know a marketer. You got your maybe it's your performance marketer at a certain channel. You have a creative team, and they come together. They know they're ready to act quickly. They see the data, and then they can spin up whatever it needs to be mm-hmm. to kind of move and pivot and and drive that that incremental performance that we see. Uh, you said to, you, there are a couple of things that you said to me when we when we spoke earlier that I wanted to make sure that we surface here. One of the things you said to me is that you think B2C marketers would do well to act more like CPG brands. What are the specific skills and strengths of CPG marketing that you try to emulate with Peloton? And how yeah. is that different from the way many D2C product-oriented you know, marketers work? Yeah, I, I love this question. Um, and one, one of the things I love about how we operate at Peloton and uh, is we blended some of the kind of CPG rigor that you'd expect from PAG, and I'll, I'll talk about that in more detail, to some of the like hardcore performance marketers that you see from the best e-com D2C brands, to some of the really rich, robust product marketing that you get out in the Bay Area. And we, we, we try to blend all of that together in how we operate. Um, and as it relates to the CPG mentality, I think one of the things we pride ourselves on is really going deep in consumer insights and putting a ton of rigor uh, behind our marketing before we even go, before we even go to market. Um, so we'll do months of, of deep consumer work to really understand what is that right insight or identify the right language or if the new product, the feature set. Um, but then we're also able to turn on a dime and react in, in real time based on what we're seeing in digital. Um, so we kind of plan for months, but then we're ready for chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing I think that the, the CPG marketers do really well that I, I think is really important to apply to, to the DTC world, it's just a rigor behind the business outcomes they drive. Um, there's a really deep business accountability that your CPG brand manager has. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely a discipline we're trying to instill in our team. And I think the more understanding of the outcomes you're going to drive and how you drive them uh, and have that accountability to the business, uh, the, the better your, your marketing will be. 
Uh, I want, by the way, I want to signal to to our audience that we'll have a few in a in a couple of minutes. We'll go to you for some questions. Uh, I should mention just just to signal everybody to, to uh, that um, Ryan isn't able to address last week's treadmill recall at all. We're we're focusing in this conversation. We'll, we'll engage that later when they're ready to talk about it. But um, for now, we're just engaging the issues of D 2 C marketing generally. Um, I wanted to uh, to ask about post-purchase touch points with your with your customers because that's such an important part of your business model is maintaining that that subscription and that engagement with the brand and of course you're in a category that is notoriously difficult when it comes to keeping people dedicated to this to the plan of exercise are there particular CRM levers or real-time product usage data that you're using that um, that grow lifetime value? Are there particular behaviors that signal potential churn or deeper loyalty long-term? Um, yeah, I love this. And um, I think when we think about um, you know, subscription businesses like ourselves, one thing that's really important to remember, I'm going to slightly off topic is once you acquire a consumer, you know, you have to keep them first time. It's really hard to reacquire a consumer the second time around. So that early experience is really important. I think it's something I've seen a lot of D2C brands is neglected and over uh, index in terms of just focusing on growth and worrying about retention later. And oftentimes you're just building a leaky bucket and it's really hard to fill it again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then conversely, your, your most loyal advocates become your, your most efficient marketing tools because they're, they're, they're organically sharing great experiences that is better than any marketer can do. So um just want to make that point first for, for all our retention marketers tuned in. Um, and then as it relates to kind of LTV drivers, yeah, at the end of the day, like we're, we're a digital subscription business in a category that is notorious for not having a ton of retention or, or ongoing engagement. Um, so yeah, we, we look at a ton of data and we understand what are those behaviors that, that, that drive higher, a higher you know, um, propensity to, to stick around longer or, or maximize LTV. And uh, the obvious one is the frequency and volume of working out, but um, one thing we really look at is, is kind of a engagement outside of our core discipline. So consumers engaging in strength and uh, stretching and yoga as a part of their, their Peloton experience is, is uh, awesome for us. And um, something and we try to b- develop and build those, um, those habits um, to really kind of drive that, do that long-term um, LTV. And, you know, even on a your point around kind of real-time data, you know, we're, we're we're running a live schedule, right? So we're producing, uh, you know, over a hundred live classes a week. Uh, and we're looking at the, what, what, what are members taking? What are they not taking? And how do we adapt our, our content or offering and what we're serving up the consumers to, to react in real time? Um, and I think during the pandemic, you're seeing different behaviors adapt. So then that, how do we as a, as a company flex um, to understand those new need states and we can better serve our members? It's it's interesting that you're looking that you mentioned that there are these sort of these ancillary behaviors that are really that are really key drivers and signals, not necessarily the this your specific interaction with the product so much as the larger lifestyle behaviors that actually indicate indicate the lifetime value. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things we love is is how do we how do we help members get more effective total body workouts? We love we love bootcamp with Peloton and. Uh, one of the big things we launched as part of the Bike Plus launch was our, was our, was our Bike Bootcamp uh, content offering um, because we know consumers are becoming more time trapped. They want that total body workout. So um, being able to pivot our content offering to adjust to that need is, is hmm. and obviously the marketing of it is critical, but it needs to be really grounded in that consumer behavior and what they're looking for. Well, let's see if we have any uh, any questions. Let's bring in Lisa and see if we have any questions for it. 
we have lots of questions for you. Oh, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> it's a really good one. Okay, okay, let's try, everybody be quick. Let's try to get as many in as we can. Yes, okay. So from Casey, how do you think about refreshing a segmentation without redoing it entirely? Yeah, it's a tough question. Um, it's it's always going to be based on kind of the specifics, I think, of your of your business case. But first question to ask yourself, is your segmentation broken? Um, does it no longer reflect what you believe are the market dynamics uh, or your or your product offering? Um, or are you seeing ineffective marketing and you want to give it a relook? Um, that to me is probably question number one. Um, and then from there, I think you know, uh, as it relates to refreshing for us, it's, 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 yeah, it's, we look at our success in our segmentation, I guess, is maybe a more signal and understand what are those, um, those driving factors that are causing you to want to relook at it. So being vague, because there's so many specifics, but um, if it's not broken, I think it's more about refreshing is maybe the, the, the headline I could give. All right. Well, another question here is, do you think brand was reacting to customer sentiment and um, some of the backlash for brand being out of touch with the most customer? I'm not sure what that's going for. Uh, um, yeah, I think, look, um, as it relates to our marketing, we're, we're very in tune with kind of um, our customer, voter prospective customer and our um, existing members, we're always, as I mentioned, like as the, as the business evolves or consumer base grows, we're always evolving and, and, and your marketing needs to reflect that. So um, I don't know that we're necessarily reacting, but I think we're, we're being really considerate about the uh, you know, evolving nature of our, of our business. How do you balance brand awareness and subscription goals, particularly as it relates to where you invest media dollars and ROI measurement? Yeah, another great, really good question. Um, I, again, I think it's, it's the economics of your business are going to really dictate it. Um, I, I think for Peloton, um, building brand awareness and driving acquisition at the same time has, has been always gone hand in hand and I think part of our special sauce. Um, there are times when you need to think of them together and there are times when you need to think of them differently. And for us, TV is actually a really effective mechanism where we we can drive awareness and interest, but we also do it really efficiently. So we're able to kind of achieve both goals. Um, and then you kind of find your moments to make those big brand moments that maybe you're relenishing yourself of, of some of those like harder metrics, but it's always a balance and, and you have to invest in brand upstream because over time that's going to bring up your baseline and it's going to help you bring down your performance marketing costs over time. So there's no secret number, but uh, a constant investment in brand and the balance approach is, is definitely critical in my opinion. Well, and this is from William, what CAC CLV ratio do you consider success? Uh, I think it's, oh, I think it's always going to depend on your business. Even at Peloton, we look at, um, you know, we have our, our bike business, we have our tread business, we have our app business. They all have different CLV to CAC ratios. Um, and I think we would all look at them and, and call them successful. So I think there's, there's probably generally too many business dynamics at play, but, you know, traditionally speaking, you always want your, your LTV to kind of be greater than your CAC, of course. So. And finally, how has your acquisition and retention strategies evolved with more competition and as customers have more choice? Yeah, I think um, on the retention side for us, it's like keeping things fresh is really important for, for our members. Um, so that's new content offerings, like I mentioned, the artist series, new modalities, new features. Uh, so we, um, as we think about the, the world we're living in right now, social interaction has never been 
more of a thing than ever before. And we've been um, deprived of it for so long. So introducing software features that help create more social interaction has been a really big part of our, of our attention um, story. So we've launched high fives, we launched sessions, we launched tags to help bring people together in a world where we're, where we're getting, we've been further apart. Um, and then the acquisition side, yeah, I think the category has changed a ton. Like I mentioned, it's not a, the idea of a bike in your living room taking a live spin class isn't novel anymore. So I'm really leaning into what makes the Peloton experience far superior and what, what drives differentiation or content offering, the power of our community, um, the, the motivation and power of our instructors. I definitely can think we're going to bottle up and, and, and kind of... Ryan, Dylan, Karen, thank you so much. This was really enlightening. It's been, it, was, it was great talking to you before, before this and, and today. Thanks so much for joining us. Awesome. Thanks for having me. The blast. Thanks for hitting play on Media Post's Brand Insider podcast. We're here each week interviewing marketing executives from large and small, legacy and emerging brands. They share their experiences navigating the challenges of commercial clutter, media distraction, and consumer disinterest. You can also subscribe to the Brand Insider newsletter for edited text editions of these Q&As. For this and all of the marketing and media news reporting MediaPost has provided the industry for two decades, head over to MediaPost.com. And if you have any thoughts, comments, or suggestions for Brand Insider, you can always reach me, Steve Smith, at Steve at MediaPost.com. Until next week, let's market carefully out there.